We live in a world of violence, war, magic, and the supernatural. I am here to bring you a glimmer of hope for tomorrow. This is the Voice of Hope podcast, and you can call me Beacon, your auditory guide to the safety of Castle Refuge. To all Tomorrow Legion teams in the field, the following is an informational message. The next mission profile will be included in the next broadcast. Rest easy, comrades. To those on the long road to sanctuary and those putting themselves in harm's way to protect those in need, my last broadcast I shared with you a message from a young refugee named Mary traveling with the Sutter Refugee Convoy. Her question struck a chord with many here at Castle Refuge. Mary expressed fear of humans due to her family's suffering during the Tolkien War, and also wondered what the Tomorrow Legion is and why it did not save her home and family from its terrible events. I suspect that Mary also happens to be the one voicing concerns that many other refugees are trying to understand in the aftermath of this tragedy. So today, I have Counselor Isaiah Comstock to join me to answer some of Mary's questions. Good afternoon, Counselor. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule to meet me. Absolutely, sir. You provide an extraordinary service for all of us, and it is my pleasure to do what I can to assist you. Thank you, Counselor. I think uh, you may have heard the message from Mary, which has touched everyone here in the castle fairly deeply, and I hope you can answer a few questions related to her message. For the purpose of this interview, I'm going to be speaking for Mary, so please, any of your answers, answer them as if you are speaking with an adolescent sentient. Understood. There is much fear and trepidation in these, these dark days, but I, I hope to stand well for the message of hope that you do. Thank you, sir. So for our first question, who are you and what is your job here in Castle Refuge? I am Isaiah Comstock. I am the Counselor of Education amidst those of us that are known as the, the, high, the Council of Hope, if you will. We all serve with the High Defender to try to help build this region as a place for more than just safety and security, but for education and well-being and to build a true community with eyes to the future. My particular, my particular position uh, as a protege of Erin Tarn is to enhance our efforts to bring education, learning, and understanding of both our past and our present so that we have a better future. Mm, yes, sir, and uh, I myself have been through some of your academics here when I first arrived at the castle. Indeed, you were a, a fine student, sir. You, you might have paid a bit more attention to uh, matters geographical, but I think you've started to pick that up as a matter of personal practice, so I, I'll accept that as a foundation of my teaching. Yes, sir. So for, uh, for Mary, what is Castle Refuge? Castle Refuge is a home for those in need of a home. It is also the foundation of what we hope to one day call a confederation, a confederation of communities all united in the purpose of building uh, a tomorrow that is founded in the world we have now for too long. So many would look to the past of what, what, what was before the cataclysm and try to regain that. Now we all seek to try to, to see what is and what can be. The power of the rifts and the ley lines being what they are. Uh, the, all the, the diversity that comes to us from the various dimensional places and all the intellects and knowledge and magic and technology and all of these things can be used collectively towards a, a brighter future and a, a world that could be one based in safety and, and enlightenment. We're not there yet, but that's the goal and the dream of Castle Refuge. It, it started as something quite different, as you know, but that's what it is now, a place for people to gather, to, to, to collect what they have for mutual safety and security, but also to build something more. Ah, yes, sir. Uh, in fact, you had just said uh, that Castle Refuge always hasn't been this. How long has Castle Refuge been around and who built it? Well, it's it's never a, an easy, you know, one sentence answer as so many of my students try to 
to beg me for because they just want to know the one thing, write that down and move on to the next test question. But really it's important to understand that Castle Refuge began as a home for travelers from another place, another another realm. We uh, we do not know for sure, but we, we uh, are given to understand that there is a, a place out there called Shintar. It's a realm across the dimensions that was given much to magic and and uh, fantastic beings. Uh, very low in technology by comparison, but very high in magic. And apparently there was a period of time, uh, coming of great maelstroms, if you will, tempests, I am told. And these dwarves were driven from their home, and they found their way, as so many do, to this world via what we now, of course, would call a rift. Uh, for them, it was simply a hole in space-time, which, of course, is exactly what a rift is. And they immediately found themselves pursued on this end of, of that hole by more monstrous beings, and they escaped. They fled, if you will, the realm we call the Magic Zone, and found themselves in what we know to be the Ozarks. They came across a place, uh, a fortress Ozark, apparently is what it once was called, and being quite taken with the foundations of, of this, this fallen castle, they decided to rebuild. Uh, the, the hills and mountains of the Ozarks appealed to them, as did the sense of security and safety from what they had fled, and they began building. I'm given to believe it took them a couple of years to adapt to new uh, materials, new construction techniques, but also with their own, if you will, almost mystical and arcane ideas of how to build with solidity and with with strength. And so, though it was not called Castle Refuge at the time, it was quite simply the the home of the the Hammerheart clan uh, at the time. That that is the foundation that would become. Castle Refuge. The name Castle Refuge is relatively new. We've only really come to use that term in the last few months, starting sometime in the end of July and beginning of August, uh, when we first started taking in refugees in the aftermath of the fall of Tolkien. So Castle Refuge is a name, only a few months, but as a physical place, it's been um, probably close to three years now. Hmm. Yes, I just got here myself with the uh, some of the first waves of refugees. Um, but as Mary kind of voice, probably for many of the refugees that are out there, can Castle Refuge really take care of us, the refugees? And what what can the refugees expect when they get here to Castle Refuge? Well, first, Everything is oriented upon your first arrival to be a sense of providing you safety, security, shelter, food, medical care. We have endeavored to build extensively with the idea that more will come and that we will have space for them. This began quickly when, as we now know, uh, uh, Lord Coke, at the time they did not know this, that's who it was, but when he first arrived via... Uh, portaling through the secure, uh, well, I say secure, but the stable rift that exists very near the castle. Uh, he used ley line walkers that were in his, his uh, friendship and service to bring refugees from the, the devastation of Tolkien. And you know, right away, the dwarves offered their hospitality, even as Lord Coke and his people provided a sense of security against whatever might come. Fortunately, because of the nature of Leyline travel, the coalition wasn't really in any position to follow, so there was no immediate threat at that time. Though we are surrounded on all sides by potential threats, Castle Refuge has been blessed by the fact that it is tucked away in an area that very few have reason to explore or, or examine. That will, of course, change as we have reached out and begun to build a community. For you see, that's really the point here in the northern part of what we call uh, Arkansas, as we look at the ancient maps, uh, and if you look north, just immediately north of here, the border, uh, artificial as it is, that would be called Missouri, and though it's technically claimed by the coalition, much of it is open farmland, and even the few coalition forces that mostly reside in the southern part of Missouri really don't have the same zeal for combat and conflict with us. They're more concerned of simply seeing to it that the farms continue to produce food, and we've even had some, shall we say, 
off-the-books food and information trade with some of the more reasonable of them. So we continue to build the community to our to our east. It starts to get into the, the outer edges of what we call the magic zone, but it is not firmly under the rulership of, of, of Dunskin, uh, the king of the, quote, true federation. Uh, most of those realms are also relatively friendly. And to the west, though we do eventually find ourselves up against what would be called the uh, Lone Star uh, area uh, and the Pecos, Empire, the Pecos Empire bandits. Uh, that's only if we go particularly too far to the west. More nearby, again, lots of communities that we've encountered that now that they have a reason to trust us, as we've worked so hard to do so, they, um, they're, in they're keen to continue with expanding trade and sharing of food and resources. So we've begun to build a community. So you see, refugees are not expected to remain refugees for very long. The, the council, myself, uh, Paula Michelson, who's the Council of Diplomacy, Henara, the Council of Agriculture, Rolk Hammerhart, Council of Engineering, uh, Serena Stargazer, our Council of Magic, and Craig Henson, who is the mayor of refuge himself, all of these people and so many others are working together to immediately work to integrate these people who come here to give them a chance to build a home for themselves, to build a sense of belonging. For those who do not care to remain, they are not asked to. Certainly they are free to, to move on and find another place for themselves, and we encourage anyone who wishes to, but we've discovered the vast majority are very, very grateful for a chance to stop being refugees and start being citizens. And that is what we work towards. Uh, yes, sir. In fact, uh, some of the refu some other refugees that we've recently run into, the Feyrelin, uh, we were actually able to find them uh, a place to live in a small town called Paragud uh, to the east. Not too far from here, but definitely uh, within the security that Castle Refuge provides. Mm -hmm. Now, we've understood that because Refuge, um, this particular place being the headquarters of the Tomorrow Legion, there is a sense on some people's parts that this might become a lightning rod for conflict. We, we've endeavored to prevent that so far, but it's hard not to look around at the defenses, the, the glitter boys and robot armor, the, the cannons, the magical artifacts and golems and everything else that we've put into place. And there is a, an, an unavoidable air of a military style um, aspect to things. It's necessary for safety and security. And because we do base our operations going out into the world from here, for some like the failure and a very peaceful people, it's a bit much, so we understand when they decide that they wish to move outside of the realm uh, of the immediate castle and find a place that's a little bit more remote and, and, and comforting. And as you say, we still endeavor to make sure that they are within our, our sphere of influence and can easily and quickly call upon us for protection as needed. And sir, uh, as you asked, and one of Mary's very important questions was, what is the Tomorrow Legion? Do they just fight for Castle Refuge? And how are they different from the Coalition and the Federation of Magic? Mm, well, the military footing, as I mentioned, is easy for uh, anyone to, to look at and go, it's just more people with guns. I, I understand. You have to see, you have to understand, I myself was a juicer for many years. Uh, well, many years in a juicer's lifetime, three and a half pushing four. I took the risk and went through what we call the detoxification process. I was very fortunate to have survived and even more fortunate to have found something to focus myself upon, which as I said, I'm a protege of Erin Tarn, the great librarian and educator herself. Uh, and that gave me a, a sense of purpose. And it gave me an understanding too, that it is one thing to be a student of war and a student of combat and to be good at it. And I was quite good, I tell you, I assure you. But it's another thing to focus those skills and abilities for a cause, for a purpose. So many come into this world and all they are attempting to do is survive. And they believe that survival is based on having the biggest guns and the most powerful magic and the most amazing powers. And to use that to simply grab what they can against all comers and try to just eke a, a survival out of a, a dangerous world in sometimes at the expense and cost of others' lives or security or, or well-being. The, the Legion is about something more. You see, 
It was founded in tragedy. There can be no question of that. The fall of Tolkien had so many cast out of their homes and in desperate need of a safe place. Lord Coke himself, somewhat, if you will, broken by the, the sundering of his order as so many of the Cybernites chose to fight alongside the evil that had been called upon in a last desperate attempt to defend Tolkien versus others of his who s stood against them and they, they fought one another as a almost civil war amongst the, 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 the order of the Cybernites itself. There was a faction that followed him directly, though they, they chose not to fight each other, but only to provide protection and to rescue as many of the refugees from Tolkien as possible. And in that tragedy, in that, 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 that catalyst, that crucible of pain and fire, they, they, they banded together for a cause, and that cause at first was to save people, to rescue people, to bring them to a place of safety. And he brought so many robot pilots, glitter boys, juices, crazies, reformed dog boys, leyline walkers, all of these empowered beings from so many walks of life uh, banded together for that cause. He encouraged them to remain together. And he at first advocated that they stand as a, a force of defense while the dwarves continued their building and continued to prepare a place for those refugees to, to feel comfortable and safe, to give them that se sense of safety and security. Quickly, however, over time, over a quick period of time, it became apparent that this was an opportunity for something more, a chance to build a community, to build towards that confederation I mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier. So this legion began to look to tomorrow. You see, Plato, who is a, a, a very, very important figure in the community of Laszlo and uh, a frequent uh, counsel to Erin Tarn, the two of them and others of Laszlo, New Laszlo, and of course Lord Coke himself, met with uh, Lady Hammerheart and so many others here, and they decided that now was an opportunity to, as we keep saying, look to the future. So this force of defense and protection became a, an organization focused on tomorrow, on building a better world for tomorrow. Having said that, it is a dangerous world. There are terrible monsters. There is the coalition who will still strike out at those who use magic, who will still strike out at anyone who is not truly human. These, these people must be protected, and the Legion is here to protect them. There is the true Federation of Magic, which wishes to collate, collate all practitioners of magic under Lord Dunscan's rule, and anyone who's not a practitioner of magic is a second-class citizen at best, and he would hold the whole world under his rule as well. These are tyrants. These are despots. We must be willing to stand against them. So, Mary and so many others, hear me when I tell you, yes, it is sometimes necessary to take up arms against those who would hurt you and your family and your friends. But that doesn't mean that we are purely militant for the sake of violence. We only seek to do, we only choose violence when we are given no other choice. And we do so so that you will never have to. We do so so that we can oppose these forces and drive them back so that you can focus on growing and being healthy and educated and find out what kind of life you would like for yourself without the fear of those who would hurt you and take away your freedom. That's who the Tomorrow Legion truly is. Thank you, Counselor. That was uh, gave me chills listening to that. Yes, those that have uh, known war are never soon to forget it. However, Mary, you mentioned the Cybernites and how some of them fought for Tolkien and how some of them did not. She also was asking, why was the Tomorrow Legion not there to defend her home? Why did the Tomorrow Legion not answer Tolkien's call to arms against the Coalition? That is a very fair question, but it is simply a matter of history. It is a matter of what happened first. You see, Mary, we didn't exist then. Uh, as I've just explained, we did. the Tomorrow Legion wasn't even known. It, was, it did not exist. It was not an organization until the end of Tolkien. Uh, it is a sad and, and sorry truth, but... The Tomorrow Legion exists because Tolkien fell. 
because so many who who lived there as you did needed protectors but the organization did not exist it it came about so you see the dwarves here in, the, in, in that were building castle refuge they knew nothing of Tolkien. They hadn't even had a chance to find out about it. The war was going on. The dwarves didn't know. They didn't discover the existence of the war until it was already over and Lord Coke and so many others were bringing people out of your home in, in its collapse as it has fallen. Had the Tomorrow Legion existed then for another reason, I can assure you it would have become their mission to go and do all they could to have helped. But I will not disrespect you, Mary, by giving you a, a, a too easy answer. For you see, your home was a beautiful and wonderful place, but those who led Tolkien did make some very questionable and, quite frankly, in some cases, evil choices. Choices made of desperation, I would say, yes, but when they chose to bring evil true evil forth from 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 controlled rifts when they used the forces of hell itself to stand with them against the coalition at that time people like many of the cyber knights and people like myself people who could not willingly stand shoulder to shoulder with a demon who at any moment would turn and bring harm to children you cannot give up your righteousness as a human being or as a sentient being by serving with evil. So it was very complex and I, I hope one day that you will have a chance to attend either mine or one of my, my fellow teachers' classes so that you can ask these questions in a more complex way and we can talk about what happened and why. But for your sake and for the sake of those who suffered, I can assure you that Tomorrow Legion not only would have been there, but is even now putting forces together, putting teams together to go up into Tolkien to be continue rescue operations, to, f to search for those who are still stuck behind enemy lines. Uh, I know of three teams already that have already gone up there and are doing everything they can to bring others like yourself to this new home, or at least away from that place, so that you can find a new home. So that is the, the, both the simple and complicated answer. The Tomorrow Legion didn't exist until Tolkien had fell, but the Tomorrow Legion now exists to help those from Tolkien, as well as the rest of the world. Yes, that was one of the things that struck me, Counselor, about Mary's question. Once again, children often ask some of the simplest questions, but they generally have some of the most complex answers. Hmm. Um, true, very, very true. One of the things that struck her very much, and of course uh, was deeply uh, meaning to me, was why did the Coalition attack Tolkien in the first place, and why do the humans of the Coalition hate DBs like Mary? Once again, there are the simple and the more complex answers. The Coalition was founded by those who, well, in all honesty, represent the beings who existed on this planet first. Humanity, the, the, the primary and, as far as anyone knew, only sapient species of this world were humans. And in the earliest days of what we refer to now as the cataclysm, the, the horrible events that changed everything, destroyed cities and civilizations, brought the rifts, ripped wide open upon this world, brought about the ley lines, and opened up the gateways through which so many beings, such as Mary, originally came from. All of this was a time of absolute and utter chaos. Try to imagine if you can, that you're in your home and you're eating and you're comfortable uh, with your family and all of a sudden the doors and the windows burst open and insects come flying in all through all the various portals and they, they sting you and they, 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 they cause you pain and they, they eat your food and tear up everything inside and what would you do? You would be terrified. You would be very upset. You and your family would grab anything you could and fight back against these insects to drive them back outside of your home. And then as you looked outside and saw that they were still out there, you would do everything you could to board up your windows and lock your door and try to create a way for your family to be safe. So in the 
much bigger sense, that's what happened in the earliest days when DBs and other things came through the rifts. For you see, Mary, you, of course, are a very kind and sweet and wonderful being. And just because you do not look as though uh, the, the coalition does, uh, there would be no reason for them to fear you any more than you should have to fear them. But in those earliest days, most of what humanity faced, sadly, were much like the demons I was talking about before that were called forth by the sorcerers and warlocks of Tolkien during the war. Imagine them not even siding up with a force to fight another force. They simply arrived in great droves and they slaughtered and they killed. Magic also, Mary, you must understand, was not something that existed in this world. By all accounts, all was technology. There was no magic. So magic was this strange and fearsome and terrifying new force that humanity did not know how to deal with. And in the terrible cataclysms in the great dark ages, some came forward using just their will and the technology they had access to, and they built a force to, to protect, much like the Tomorrow Legion. However, sadly, those who built this force, those who came into power around this force, did not see things the way that we see things. They saw that because it was non-humans that they saw as the enemy. They saw non-humans as the ones that hurt their families, destroyed their homes. They got it stuck in their minds that all non-humans were to be blamed for what had happened. And because they saw the powers of magic as having been destructive and caused uh, chaos that they could not control, they understood guns, they understood tanks, they understood weapons of technology, uh, but they did not understand and they could not control magic, so they became fearful. Mary, it is fear. Fear is at the heart of all of these challenges. Fear is at the true heart of the answer to your question. The coalition fears that which it cannot control and that it, which it does not understand. And that entire society was founded on fear. And because of fear, they intentionally created ignorance in their population. They do not educate the average person. They keep them held down. They do not let them learn and understand. They simply tell them what they are supposed to believe. So they are told you are evil because that is what serves the purpose of those in power. So there it is. You are afraid. They are afraid of you because they don't know any better because they are more children than you are, Mary. They are kept ignorant, they are kept uneducated, and they are simply told what to believe by those who have all the power. It is a sad thing. It is a thing that we hope one day to overcome. We hope and we continue to try to reach out to individuals who live under coalition rule and try to give them a reason to think differently. And we occasionally do encounter coalition citizens, even coalition soldiers, who, because they are away from the center of power, have had a reason to see things differently. And slowly but surely, we help some of them understand and change their minds. But the leaders, Mary, the, the ones who rule the coalition, they are the enemy. There's no way around that. They're the ones who gain power because they tell others to fear you and your family and the homes that you came from. I am sorry, that is a very hard truth, but it is one you must understand, and therefore understand that is what we fight against. Yes, sir, the fear and the ignorance are very powerful tools. They're wielded almost as a weapon unto themselves. Uh, one last question, sir, uh, going along with that is, what's preventing the Coalition from destroying Castle Refuge, like just like they did with Tolkien? <sighs> That is one of those those things that, quite frankly, is complex. But luck, luck is a good portion of it. I won't lie. Uh, we we are served well by the fact that we are not directly in the path of the main forces of the coalition. And that this has given us time to build up our walls, to build up our defenses. Again, I, I choose to respect you, Mary, so I will not avoid telling you truths that may not be the most pleasant, but they are 
true, and therefore you deserve to know them. It is, in fact, the aftermath of the fall of your home and the chaos that has ensued that keeps the Coalition's attention, and they must continue to dedicate many of their forces in that area, which means they don't have enough forces to focus elsewhere, such as where we are now here in Castle Refuge. There is the Coalition State of Arkansas to the south of us, and they, we, they are a force that we do need to keep an eye on, and we do contend with on a semi-regular basis, but they're not strong enough by themselves to send a, a truly terrible force that we could not face. Thankfully, so many believe in the cause of the Tomorrow Legion that we our numbers have swelled dramatically. We have many brave and powerful beings, and more come every day and join the ranks. Many of the refugees who come from the various places who have come here seeking a chance to find happiness, health, and security, many of them see the Tomorrow Legion and realize there is an organization I can believe in. There is a group I can give my time to. There's a group I can use my combat training and my special abilities for something greater than simply going out and taking what I need to survive. We also form alliances with other groups. We, we are good friends, for example, with the folks of Laszlo far to the north, the Lin Sriel from the west. We uh, know and are, are good, uh, good company with them and work together with them. There are factions within the Magic Zone. There is uh, other uh, organizations and groups of rangers and heroes throughout the North American continent and elsewhere that we are developing relationships with. And it is this confederation, because we of course cannot use and will not use the word coalition, this confederation of, of different groups that have a similar attitude and idea that, that we feel that we are able to build towards what we need to be strong enough to, to, to resist these forces. And uh, frankly, there are other threats the coalition must attend to. Uh, again, complexity being what it is, the Zitikiks, the insect beings that are starting to spread their hives beyond just the north-central part of what used to be the United States or the American Empire and, and Canada, uh, they are starting to, to spread, and they are what we call an existential threat. This means they are a species that threaten all other living things on Earth, and even the Coalition, as much as they hate DBs, and as much as they hate those who use magic, they recognize that a threat like the Zitikiks means they cannot afford to go to war again against, say, us, when in fact they may need to be friends with us, ultimately to stop a group like the Zitikiks. So, it's a complicated thing, but the truth is, Castle Refuge is strong, strong enough to stand against the smaller coalition forces, and we are not, quite frankly, yet important enough or enough of a threat to the coalition for them to consider sending extensive armies and forces as they did against Tolkien. You see, war is an expensive proposition, Mary. It, it costs so much in terms of money, in terms of materiel, weapons, armor, ammunition, and the war against Tolkien cost them so many men, so many soldiers, Mary. So many of your countrymen died protecting your home, and for every one of them who fell, three of the Coalition soldiers died. That was a terrible price for the Coalition to pay for the victory. They will not soon recover from it. So we have time, Mary. We have lots of time to continue to build and become stronger. And that's how it's done. Counselor, thank you for your time. I know your time is precious. Is there anything you'd like to add in closing? Only that the mission that you've undertaken, Beacon, is as important as anything that anyone does. You projecting the voice of hope to those who need it. You letting everyone out there know that this is a place they can come for safety. And more importantly, letting everyone know that we are allies in the greater cause of building a better world for tomorrow. That is the most important mission and never giving up hope. That is the only thing that truly gives us a chance for that better world we all wish for. So I thank you, sir. And it was 
no trouble at all to be here. Anytime I can support the mission of education, that is, of course, my job. So thank you. Yes, sir. Sometimes reconciliation takes many different forms. But to those out, out there in North America, stay safe, move surely, and look f out for your fellow refugees. Do not lose hope. I Beacon and the rest of Castle Refuge will guide you to your new tomorrow. Speak to you again soon. I'd like to thank Sean Patrick Fannin for standing in as Counselor Isaiah Comstock. As a treat, SPF agreed to sit, uh, stay with me and chat for a little while. I know he's on a deadline. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. So, uh, kind of like we talked through email, uh, I mean, you do a ton of interviews and stuff like that, and uh, I just kind of wanted to come at it from a different perspective, since you t tend to spend a lot of time talking about game mechanics and things like that. Um, you know, I'd shot you a couple questions. Um, so, I mean, it's been a year since the kick, pretty much a little over a year since the Kickstarter's completed. What do you think the perspective of the community is on uh, on this bundle? Um. Wow. So... I'm still continuously um, and gratefully overwhelmed by the response. Um, I've, uh, I'll be honest, I've been struggling a little bit. <clears throat> um, I've been working in the background on this stuff. Uh, a lot of people may not uh, know the, the full extent of Ross Watson's involvement in the original uh, project. Yes, I did a lot of the writing and design, but Ross was my, uh, my right hand in, in everything. Um, not only did he write a good chunk of uh, the Game Master's Handbook, but he, he helped me really go through and just kept me motivated and kept me moving. <clears throat> Ross has moved on to an extraordinary opportunity. He's over in Germany right now overseeing the next Warhammer 40K RPG called uh, Wrath and Glory. And that's, that took him out of the picture for a while. And and, and it, it kind of impacted me. It impacted me more than I thought it would. Um, I, uh, the first challenge uh, to just translate the core concept of Rifts over to the Savage Rose mechanics, that was an amazing opportunity. It was the hardest design work I've ever done as well. And I, 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 I sort of like, well, whew, I accomplished that, yay. And the response has just been uh, overwhelming. It's, it's been amazing. But so, so everything going forward uh, in the grand, however, is that now there's all this other material, over 100 books worth of published Palladium books, and trying to go through and pick those pieces out that, that have, that, that I think are meaningful, uh, that I think that I can give a meaningful translation to and, and do something valuable and interesting with uh, by bringing it over into a Savage Worlds presentation. Uh, that's been a much harder task than I originally anticipated. So it, it's, it's really pushed back on me quite a bit. There was also some help things that were going on, things like that. So... Uh, and I'm fine, by the way, uh, so nobody needs to worry there. But yeah, I was I was going through some things, and so all of that's going on, and I'm kind of like oh, I don't know, you know. I'm, and then I get to Gen Con this year, and the Pinnacle f uh, panel uh, comes up, and and I've I've been involved with Pinnacle panels many times before, but now you know, hey, take a few minutes, say hi to the group, and whatever, you know, talk about what you're doing. Uh, I had no idea it was going to be quite the heavy emphasis on the Savage Rifts that it was. Uh, the, the audience there was was very keenly interested. They were also extremely supportive and excited about a lot of the other projects coming along. I mean, we're all just seriously stoked about Flash and, and some of the new stuff coming around for Deadlands and all these other things. But yes, the audience there was really keenly interested in all the things going on with Savage Rifts. And that really re-energized me. So I, I came back from Gen Con. I've did... I've, I've, I've dove headlong into the next three books uh, and I'm, I'm just cranking away on that because there is such a love for this there's such an interest and a desire for this and apparently lots of people think I'm the right guy to write it so I'm still cranking away well hey sir as a, as a fan I would like to say thank you I mean I'm sure you've got a lot of that I mean I bought the very first riffs book in the 90s I, I skipped out of track price practice on my uh, sophomore year to, to go get that book. So, um, and from everything I've seen, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I unfortunately have not got a chance to play it yet. Twice I've supposed to have been in games with you and oh. something's came up and I haven't been able to get there. So um, we got to fix that brother. We got to fix that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, at some point we'll get that worked out. But uh, so, but going along with that, I mean, you know, you're looking at delving in mechanics and all, all, you know, 
diving deep into the 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 library of Palladium Rifts books, what's your favorite book? What what which one of the the concepts and them calls out to the most, and why why is that? Oh man, so I my my favorite book is 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 going to hopefully not disappoint everybody, but it's Rifts Aftermath. Um, and it's my favorite book because it is so vitally important to the work I'm doing. <laughs> it does uh, a fantastic job of taking all of those dozens and dozens of other books and wrapping them up uh, in a narrative um, and summarizing the essence of what's been going on in that world. Uh so, you know, the period of time that we chose to set the Tomorrow Legion's launch in uh, is, is totally encapsulated by Rift's Aftermath. And Aftermath does such a keenly cool job of, of showing us what's happening uh, with Tolkien and the fall of Tolkien and showing us what's happening with all of the factions. Because for me, the political maneuverings, the, the factions all maneuvering against each other, that's always been more interesting to me than the next most powerful thing, right? What's the next most powerful, you know, robot uh, armor? What's the next most powerful monster or the next most powerful uh, occupational character class or racial character class or, or whatever? Uh, the, that, that was never as appealing to me. There was new ideas coming along all the time and there's some really fun stuff and all of this stuff. But to me, how does all of this come together in terms of, you know, who is doing what and, and how is the world shaping up? in a way for me and, and fellow heroes for, to perhaps find something, you know, uh, worthy to, to engage with and, and a sense of the world. Because as a, as, a, as a universal, you know, anything goes kind of setting, yeah, you could go all day long just on, well, I can just make this crazy, you know, crazy cool thing or that crazy cool thing. We can spend, you know, forever doing that. But what made Rifts so interesting from the beginning and makes it so interesting still is the world that built up around all this craziness, right? You know, anything can come through a Rifts. Magic is as powerful as technology. All of that is a thing. But what is the world that is created by that? What are the factions? What is the society? How does this world develop and build? And to me, that's the compelling part that gives a framework for game masters to sink their teeth into and then provide for really interesting stories and missions and things for the players to do. And so, as I said, Rift's Aftermath is my favorite book because it's the book I can delve into and, and get the, the, the top level and then kind of delve in of what is going on with the Coalition? What is going on with the Splugorth? What is going on with Archie 3? You know, what are all these guys doing now? And how can I then take that information and represent it through the Savage Rift's venue to, to make for some more really interesting stuff going on? So there's that. That's not quite the answer you were looking for, I'm sure, because you got you and everybody else is probably so. What's his favorite, you know, character thing or whatever? Uh, see, and if you make me go there, I'll have to say Rift's Ultimate Edition. Uh, to me, Techno Wizards are still the most awesome thing. I love Techno Wizards. I love Cyber Knights. Those are my two favorites. And one of the things I promised myself in the very beginning is that I would never, if through Savage Rifts. Uh, savage riffs, I should say, emphasizing the savage part, I would never let anything be more awesome or more cool than a Techno Wizard or a Cyber Knight or a Glitter Boy or a Juicer. It could be as cool, it could be as powerful, but I was never going to let anything come along through our presentation that made them not as cool anymore. So I still go back to the, the core stuff and I, everything else gets filtered through, all right, so this is really cool. What is this closest to from the core book? All right, it's probably closest to a Leyline Walker. So let's look at what makes them interesting and different from a Leyline Walker. But how do I make sure that they are they're they're cool and awesome, but not more powerful than a Leyline Walker? So that core stuff still is powerful and important to me. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of that stuff. Um, it's funny. Just for the little bitty podcast that I do, I probably spend probably go through about three to four different books just to get information to back up the uh, the scenarios and the story hooks that I put together for each one of these. Now, welcome to um, my world with the stuff I'm working on now. Re yeah, exactly. Research, research, research. Um, going along with that, though, like Castle Refuge, you know, I've heard a lot of your interviews where you talk about, you know, the adventuring paradigm of the Castle Refuge and the Tomorrow Legion and 
one of my big problems with Rifts back in the day was there was no central good guy frame of reference in the game. You could be a random adventuring group, you could be a mercenary, but generally it was it was kind of the murder hobo show. There you go, Gary and Victor. Um, but so how did the idea of Castle Refuge come about while you guys were going through development? How did it evolve throughout the cycle that you while you're working on the uh, Tomorrow Leisure Player's Guide? Uh, well. Uh, Ross and I sat down very early on when it became a real deal, right? Okay, we have the go. We have the those contracts are in place. This is a real thing. We're doing it now. We, we, we had some initial just design powwows, if you will. And uh, we, 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 we went through what we considered like the top level uh, process when you're approaching developing something like this. And uh, Ross is, is quite the the student of game development from the high-level theoretical perspective. And uh, he, he pushed me to evaluate, you know, uh, some, some key questions. And one of those key questions is, you know, what is the core activity, right? So, you know, we first asked, what is the core activity of Rifts? And then, you know, what are we going to do to give it a core activity because the answer with the core activity and risk was wander around, kill shit and take their stuff. Sorry, forgive my French, but, um, that just didn't, that that's not what we wanted to do. So, and there's a number of elements that come into play there, realizing that, um, there's, there's the rippers in the actual ripper setting, right? There's uh, the twilight legion, which appears in a few places in other savage settings. Um, the, 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 the idea of an organization that can serve as the focus for missions and getting diverse characters together, it's not a new one. Uh, and we, so we just looked at how Pinnacle did it via so many of their other settings, and then uh, I sort of played with that in my head for a while. And uh, so the, the idea of the Legion kind of stuck, but I was like, well, we don't want to... You know, this is this is Rifts, so it's a completely separate IP, so we don't want to just do the Twilight Legion again. But what if we had a variation on that idea? And then from the other from another direction is is that I always looked at a lot of what was going on um, was people, you know, in the background you had people who spent a lot of time looking to the past, evaluating what was lost because of the cataclysm. There was a lot of uh, a lot of the, the the protagonist or benevolent factions tended to think in terms of of what do I do to take what is existing and, or or what still survives from the history and try to recreate that or exploit that to my power uh, coalition you know Lone Star uh, all, you know there's a there's a, that facility Archie three there's all these legacies of of the of the past what was missing. Uh, because you know, there's, there's all these pasts, and I, 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 let me further say, then there's the surviving in the day-to-day, -day, surviving in the present. What's going on right now, and you know, what, what am I facing right now, and I have to overcome you know, in the immediate term, and then we'll just see what happens the next day, and what we're, what we're fighting tomorrow. But there was no indication that anyone was really looking to tomorrow, to a long view of, of the future world, you know, saying, you know, what are we building towards? What are we trying to create? You know, we're just trying to survive the insanity of now, as opposed to, you know, trying to say, do we want something more? Do we want to look to the future? So that was another thing that I, I played with and you know, had it kind of noodling in my head for a while. And then uh, I took the idea of the of the core group uh, of you know why we get a bunch of diverse characters together and it's about about more than being mercenaries and murder hobos and you know what what can we do that's going to be an interesting faction that's different from the other faction uh, extant in the in the in the uh, in the setting that had a broader view of what could be you know what kind of world can we build you know so it's supposed to rebuild a, a lost civilization it's what is a civilization going to look like when it has ley lines and rifts and magic and techno magic and, and insane technology and all of this stuff you know, let's look at how this comes together in a positive way so that was the grand philosophy and uh you know i i put together this 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 idea and then i called kevin i said hey kevin uh we would like to establish a core group that's that provides a different adventuring paradigm it actually gives the group a uh, reason to go out and be heroes. 
Um, we wanted to call it the Tomorrow Legion. And he's like, I love it. We've been needing that forever. So yeah, let's do it. And it really was quite simply. It was just about as simple as that. Uh, as far as you know, passing that through to, to Kevin and him saying, yes, that's something that's been missing from this setting for a long time. So, you know, that we, we took that and then, you know, then, then it, of course, came down to the detail work. Um, uh, I don't remember if it was Ross or me that first remembered about this uh, Lead Hill thing, this, this actual attempt at building a, a resort in the Ozarks. This is a real place. And we're like, you know, you know we, we did want to, um, you know, we did want to put it in that area, right, the, the border between Arkansas and Missouri, that region was interesting to us because it does very specifically put the heroes in between all the major factions and all the major sources of conflict that exist in the North American sphere. So it puts you in striking range of the, the, the magic zone and Dunskin stuff. Um, it puts you in striking range. It's you're between multiple factions of the coalition. There's the Pecos Empire and the vampires off to the west. And, of course, everything else that's out there, the, the Deep South. So it's, it's central enough to the key areas that that region was interesting to us. And uh, Corinne's, Corinne's nearby. She's reminding me that it was, in fact, Ross that, that first mentioned the Lead Hill uh, uh, thing. So credit were due. Uh, so, yeah, that that's the thing. And then I'm the one, I think, who came up with the idea of a bunch of dwarves coming from, oh, Shintar. <laughs> Which, of course, is the fantasy setting that I created and did for Savage Worlds. And uh, although we never officially named that, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it for for like, you know, uh, fun for podcasts and things like that. But officially, I can't publish that. Um, but everybody knows that's what I meant. <laughs> so <laughs> it's dwarves from Shintar. And uh, they showed up and they built uh, they built a castle doing the thing they do. And that's just how it all came together. That's awesome. I mean, and, uh, you know, if you've listened to some of the other shows, I drop Easter eggs into them. In fact, uh, I don't know if anybody, I, I'm sure some people caught it. I don't know. Um, so Mary's mom is Gamora. Uh, I thought that was it. I really thought that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so everybody wants to, you know, tie little things they love in. And, and, and well, again, so. another important part there, because uh, I realize this is vital. Um, we wanted to set it in the era post-Tolkien. So we actually decided to to craft the existence of the place based on the fall of Tolkien. We, we wanted to tie those things very, very directly together and make that a key feature uh, that, that people could focus on emotionally and, and, and otherwise uh, with that. That's why Castle Refuge, that's where the name Castle Refuge came from, because exactly that. So I want to make sure I, I, I put that into that, in, into that because the, the tying into the post-Tolkien, the immediate post-Tolkien, uh, time frame was important, so that that's another reason why we made that decision. For you, Sean, I mean, you spent a lot of time talking, you know, with these interviews, talking about mechanics and development and all that kind of stuff. But at heart, you're a gamer, right? Yep. Just like just like me, just like everybody who plays this game. In fact, I know we're up against a timeline, so you can run your your Sunday night game here. So, so the last two kind of questions I've got for you are more kind of gamer related. So, like during the development and everything you've run, what are some of the most memorable game in game scenes that you've got that stand out to you as you've been doing Savage Rifts? Well, the, 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 the creation of the concept of the Blaze of Glory has led to some of the most amazing scenes in almost any game. Uh, there, it's, a, it's a high damage game. There's no question about it. And in Savage Worlds terms, you get enough exploding dice. Um, things can just go south so bad. And uh, especially if you have a juicer in the group who you know, may decide, okay, to heck with it, I'm going out. Uh, you end up with these these amazing uh, amazing scenes. Um, the, the 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 glitter boy who threw himself between uh, the 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 APC the coalition APC and the UAR one enforcer and uh, had taken you know the the death blow hit. So he, he more or less tackled the UAR one and threw it on top of the APC and then pinned it to the APC as his own nuclear reactor went off. And, you know, so took out all the main big threats so that it, the heroes could get away. Uh, just a, a, a totally awesome, you know, badass ending uh, right there. That was, uh, that was just incredible. Uh, I will never forget the moment uh, 
where Shane Hensley is uh, playing a glitter boy. Now, Shane is one of those guys, he looks at the power levels, and he's like, dude, what have we done? <laughs> because, you know, he, he, he st he's still very much used to, you know, have a big pistol, does 2d6 plus one. That's a pretty big deal. Um, and so he's looking at all these numbers, and he's playing a glitter boy. He's decided he's played everything else. He, he tries to, he decides to, to, to play a glitter boy. And, uh, you know, we're telling him, Man, use the boom gun, use the boom gun. He's like holding off, he's using smaller weapons, or he's waiting in the melee. And then finally, at some point, stuff got bad, and he's like, all right, fine. And he plants the he plants the the, the pylons and and does the whole thing and uh, you know rolls and of course it's almost impossible for a glitter boy run by any you know effective uh, pilot to not at least hit uh, so he hits this huge group of guys and he picks up the four d twelve and he hit with a race so a d six two and 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 you, I'm just like oh god so he's going to roll this ridiculous amount of damage and he's just going to go you know you know, be like, oh, this is ridiculous. So he rolls it, and he's like, you know, one of the 12 pops, and he rolls, and he gets this ridiculous number. And we're all sort of looking at him, and he's like, okay, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a neat moment when it was like, there's that twinkle, like, okay, he gets it. He gets that this is gonzo, that this is crazy, and that's fun. Um, so uh, some, some great role-playing moments. Uh, there's a, a scenario that uh, Ross Watson... I developed called the, the the Garnet Town Gambit, and I've run it a few times too, and uh, had some fantastic scenes where people are interacting with uh, with the Coalition soldier, and you get the one or two guys who are like, "He's Coalition," but everybody else is like, "You know what? Uh, let's at least listen to him." And the grudging respect that sometimes develops, and then uh, had this one great scene where they just absolutely avidly said, look, just come back with us. Let us, let us show you a better way. And, he, and he's like, I appreciate that. And I'm proud to call y'all friends, but, uh, you know, I have to go back home. I got family back there and who knows, maybe there's a way I could try to make things better for y'all from my end of things. And there was like genuine emotion. Like people were really, really wrapped up in that and, and, and just caught up in that scene. And, and that was, that was pretty powerful too. So, those have all been those have all been really awesome experiences for me as a game master running this game. Nice, that's awesome. Well, and and it's it's funny too because uh, since the Kickstarter, of course, you got you know the Facebook group, you've got Google Plus. Um, it's kind of funny. I've actually become a, a good, pretty good Facebook friend with uh, Brett mm -hmm. Smith. Um, and, and I was supposed to be in, in the game with you guys uh, in Gen Con. Unfortunately, uh, you know my job in the military uh, overrode that. So. Um, but so how'd the adventure with Brett go? I hear, I heard something about a, I don't even know how to say it, a Corindian cyber knight, a big lizard man from Shintar. And I also hear that there might be a mission report coming to Beacon out of that adventure. Well, um, the Corindians are not, it was, it's the Dragordians are actually the lizard people from Shintar. So um, uh, uh, Corindians are actually basically an entire species of half-elves. They're like Polynesian martial art uh, half-elves. Um and it's a whole thing in Shintar where uh, a bunch of the Madukar, which were those who were not quite elf and they were not quite human um, during the, the grand spate of time when the elves were almost wiped out by a plague. So they found out they bred true with humans. Ma majority of them came out enough elvish-like to be considered elves. And then a large chunk of them were pretty much very, very pretty and magically uh, capable humans. But a very tiny, small part of them didn't quite look one way or the other. And they all ended up gathering up and leaving the continent for an island called Corindia and developed a martial arts. Uh, Shintar was one of those worlds I, tr I tried to take concepts from Dungeons and Dragons that didn't make sense to me and, you know, work out a way for them to make sense. So the idea of the monk, um, I, I decided to create it as a racial uh, thing. There's this martial arts form created by these people who eschew the use of metal. And that's important to the story because the Corindians have a very unique and some would consider really weird culture they they forewent metal of any kind in their culture. Uh, they would not use metal for arms and armor because that encouraged war. They would not use you know metal for coin because that encouraged greed. So you know just they they don't touch or use metal. That's their thing. So here's this guy uh, Vesh who I played extensively in Shintar under my friend uh, Lee Baloo. Uh, who was really good. We played long enough that he was a serious, badass martial artist. There was jokes about how the, the, you had all these armed and armored you know, knights and warriors and magicians, and 
you know, the, 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 it happened by accident once, and then it sort of happened by intent. Another time, it's like, okay, we're all going to take this side. Vesh, you handle that side. <laughs> I mean, just because he couldn't, he was so fast and so good at what he did. He was difficult to hit, and he just could run through and hit multiple targets and just do crazy stuff. So I was like, that that could be fun because again, Cyber Knights are are a, a favorite uh, favorite idea from Rifts. So uh, Koreanians don't use metal; they don't use swords or things like that. So his Psy blades were basically like Psy fighting sticks. They, they were these, these energy fighting sticks or a staff if he wanted to go big. Um, but the fact was I got to play this as, you know, you meet him and he's wearing this like leather with seashells and stones attached to an armor. Or, you know, this, and he's got like leather boots and uh, oiled poncho and just like very rustic, no technology whatsoever. And then no weapons. He's completely armed. And, and the rest of the group is like, okay, what the hell? I mean, and he's going with us into this mission. Um, how does this even work? He, well, he must be the wilderness guide, right? He's just going to help us find our way there. And then, and then of course, I, I, I totally cyber night out and the sticks come out and I just start destroying stuff. And they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> the only way I was able to pull that off, though, because you know, cyber knights even typically will wear some body armor and then they'll just throw some other stuff up. I actually, because uh, Brett let us build them a little bit more ex ex uh, experience because some of the guys playing were his experienced group. So I had enough experience points to build him up to be a master psionic so that I could get access to, for example, the, 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 the greater armor and greater deflection. So by having greater deflection and rolling that at minus six and uh, also having the minus two uh, versus tech, so I'm, they're minus eight to hit me and I've got plus ten mega damage armor um i was okay but that was the only way i was able to pull that off is, is getting up to that level but he runs a good game he runs a really good game uh he knows the world uh i was able to completely lose myself in that and have a really great time um and, and the thing was we only had the one game planned but here we end up having a second game that came about and that was like saturday night when people are supposed to be going to like to the masquerade and all these huge parties and here all these people are like hey i hear you guys might play savage rifts can we do that instead so i had teller <laughs> right the guy who does all the uh uh the, the the weird war stuff right it was a major consultant on weird wars uh and does uh, hell on earth he wanted to mm -hmm. play we had a couple of guys from italy who are big savage worlds guys in italy they they wanted to play ross watson Sheena, uh, uh, Sheena Vandiver from uh, um, uh, Austin, who runs uh, Ging, uh, uh, ChupacabraCon. So I had all these amazing people who are like, we'd rather do this than go to any of the industry parties. So we ended up having the second game uh, where I just did the most amazing Cirque du Soleil you know, meets uh, Avenger stuff. It was just nuts. I actually took out a, a, <laughs> a, a, a Hellhound. I didn't have any of my armor up. I didn't have any of my weapons going. It was just Vesh as a martial artist, and I punched one right through the skull. And... And, and the Glitter Boy pilot's like, why am I even here? <laughs> and that was, I, I have to admit, I was totally rocking it out with that. And I just, I was just felt so freaking awesome. So it was a good time. Now, as far as uh, a mission report, I'm assuming uh, uh, you, you're saying you know, somebody, somebody's sending you a report. I, I, I didn't know that I was signed up for that. So I'm assuming somebody else is. Oh, no, Brett, uh, just in some communication, said there may be a mission report coming your way from somebody cool. concerning some things. Unfortunately, Beacon was actually supposed to be on that mission. With well, you, then so. I would say bug him some more about that. <laughs> yep, so. But yeah, it's been pretty cool. Uh, me and him kind of uh, are both heavy minis background kind of guys. So. Oh, yeah. I loved, oh, his toys. Oh, God, I want yep. his toys so bad. In fact, I'm trying to get all my stuff together so I can sign up to run some games at PAX Unplugged in November. So, mm. so where are you based out of, Sean? I am in uh, southern Maryland. I'm based ah. at uh, Andrews Air Force Base. So I see. I see. Well, uh, I know there's some people out there trying to get me invited for some con out that way or another, so uh, we'll see. Nice. Uh, we'll see if I can get out that way. If nothing else... Um, it's not too, too far. It's a bit of a distance, but it might be worth it. If you can get up to Con on the Cob, that's one of the best cons I ever get a chance to go to. It's ah. up in Hudson, Ohio. Um, but uh, we're going to definitely be there. We're there every year, and I've got a huge uh, Savage Rifts, uh, not Savage Rifts, I've got a huge Freedom Squadron program that I'm running up there. That's my next big thing, by the way, is Freedom Squadron, which is G.I. Joe for adults, basically. <laughs> Amen. Um, but uh, it's uh, people have been enjoying that a lot, too. So Nice. 
Well, I know you got some things to do coming up, uh, Sean. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me in my little podcast. But uh, if, any final words, or if you want to throw any hints to what the products that you're working on? Well, we were we were talking about Tolkien and talking about you know what happens when people go to Tolkien during the interview with uh, uh, Councillor Comstock. He mentioned that some teams were starting to head up to Tolkien, and that may actually uh, have been directly derived from something I was just working on before you and I got on to talk to each other. Um, so uh, one of the books, I mean, and, and these have all been announced actually. So it's it's Arcane North America, and one of the things that's going on with Arcane North America is. Uh, adjustments to the encounter chart from the game master's handbook for different areas you might go to and what might happen what may happen there so if you go up to Tolkien the trip the trip to Tolkien you'd use the standard chart but once you get into the Tolkien area uh, we adjust the encounter chart so that you have some different things you may encounter and deal with same thing if you go into the magic zone same thing if you go to all these other places so adjustments to the encounter charts that's a big thing I've been working on and I think people are going to get a kick out of that um, uh, Coalition book is is also in the docket, and of course Blood and Banes, which is uh, uh, summarizing and some cool mechanics for the Vampire Kingdoms and related vampire stuff, Archie Three, uh, and uh, uh, the Zydekix, nice. and some other stuff. But those are the three big; those are the big three things that'll be in that book. So um, that's that's where my head is right now, where Savatrice is concerned. Well, I appreciate the uh, the updates to the encounter tables because I wade through those a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, knowing how much that that's been uh, well received, and and the fact that it was the Game Master's Handbook that that got nominated for for so many of the NA awards, that that told us a lot. So that's why we're we're making sure we continue to put a lot of attention. Cool. Well, sir, thank you very much. Sure thing, Sean. If you are interested in providing a unit report to the Voice of Hope podcast, please contact me at voiceofhopepodcast at gmail The Voice of Hope is a Savage Rifts fan podcast. The music in the intro and prologue are Killos and Rams theme by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Savage Worlds and Deadlands are copyrighted 2016 and trademarked to Pinnacle Entertainment Group, all rights reserved. Riffs in the Mayverse are registered trademarks of Palladium Books.